So this be a fun one. Let's see who we piss off. Everyone. Everyone. Hey, well, by the way, which is this number 86? Is that what we're up to now? And 86 is like when you get canceled. <laughs> this is it. This is it. We've been 86. Oh, shit. So make it count, boys. Here we go. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Is the daily drinker dead? Well, I mean, what do you think? I take this roundtable into a direction of deep thoughts once again, because at some point in our bourbon journey, someone has probably asked you and definitely asked me at some point, what's your go-to? And maybe you had an answer, but today we might feel kind of uncertain about it. So I ask everybody on the roundtable if we're living right now, at this very moment, in the golden age of American whiskey, and if they feel that there's just too many options on the shelf to be living in the bubble of only a few bottles. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Ryan Cahoe, who writes me on fredminnick.com. I've read through your book, Bourbon, the Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of American Whiskey, and really enjoyed the American Whiskey history lesson, especially to learn about the politics and legislation surrounding the spirit. In your opinion, is there any major or minor piece of legislation that could happen today that can move the bourbon industry further in a positive direction? Well, Ryan, this is a great question, and I'd say there's a lot of pieces of legislation that could move bourbon in the, in the right direction. And uh, the one that I'm going to uh, bring up is talked about a lot on this show, but it's always met with a lot of, how should I say, defiance or pushback from people in the trade. And that is to allow direct-to-consumer shipping from the distilleries. Now, I am a proponent of the wholesalers maintaining their, you know, what they have built and and servicing the industry. I think um, the wholesale community does get a pretty bad rap for blocking a lot of legislation that could involve shipping. I would encourage them to look for a place of compromise because nobody, it, nobody that I talk to, at least in my circles, wants to eliminate the, the wholesaler. I think, I think most people want to work with the wholesalers who are trying to maintain tax and order in their respective territories. I've always thought that there could be a way that a distiller could ship to a wholesaler in a respective city or state, and then that wholesaler would be in charge of collecting the taxes for that particular state and would also be in charge of delivering it to the consumer or having a retailer at that said place you know, do the delivery. But the problem is, is that after prohibition, the power of alcohol control outside of some labeling things and general like uh, distillation and advertising laws, the power of how it's served, where it's served, when it's served, all went to the respective states, counties, and cities or municipalities. And so you have all these different states out there that essentially operate as their own country when it comes to governing alcohol. So if we could just have one blanket system, I think that would help bourbon the distillers and the consumers. 
And I just, I feel like we don't really talk about this in a way that improves the consumer experience. Everyone's fighting for their own piece of pie in this game of shipping when there's an opportunity for everyone to work together and everyone to get their taxes and everyone to get what they want. But I just don't, I don't feel like the, the wholesale community and the distiller community are really talking like they should. And, you know, it's, it's a real shame. It's a real shame. But like I said, I don't hate the, I don't hate the wholesaler. I, I'm, I might be in the minority here on that, but I, I think the wholesaler serves a really good purpose. But they also are threatened by direct-to-consumer shipping, and they, they react accordingly instead of trying to figure out a way to, you know, make it work. But I, I think there's a way to get that where it could, it could work and move bourbon to the next level. But I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of letters on that one. We've talked about this all the time. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like Ryan, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the idea, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. And we are with Bourbon Community Roundtable. Everybody's here. And this is special lucky number 86. Either way, it's our Halloween episode. So... 
what are y'all dressing up as this Halloween? Oh, don't go at once. Yeah, I was going to say, well, all oh, were you all supposed to? I thought that was like, uh, you know, you, Kenny, and or you, Ryan, and Fred. But yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, you always we'll, start with you three. Yeah, we'll start with us three. Then I'll lead you in. How about that? We'll, we'll make sure we, we, don't, we don't want to confuse people. We've only done this over 80 times now. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Fred, you go first because we were kind of talking about it a little bit before we started. You're, you're yeah. a little bit of a you have a dark side. Yeah, so we we take this season very seriously. Uh, <laughs> we actually, uh, my family, we have a nightly sacrifice in our yard, and oh, people nice. will come and watch us uh, put a decapitated uh, pig's head uh, in a bowl with, filled with blood, uh, and then we will uh, we have like a, a mirrors surrounding our fence, and we have a conjuring circle. So if you look in the mirror. While we have a special song going, we can capture your soul. Um, and then we got a we got a uh, an animatronic um, uh, scarecrow to give candy to kids this year. So there'll be a little bowl of candy, and when you reach in to grab the candy, the scarecrow will will get you. And I'm going to be uh, something really creepy, but that's uh, I don't want to say what I am just yet. Um, so. We're, we're, uh, we take this stuff seriously. I, it sounds like it. That's intense. Yeah, that I went dark. <laughs> Kenny used to live in like the Mecca of Halloween in Louisville on that street there. I did, man. I Halloween was a huge part of my life. And that's what anybody that has been listening to us since the very beginning. I used to live on this road in Louisville called Hillcrest Avenue. It's been featured on AOL.com and national headlines. It's basically like- <laughs> Whoa, the, whoa, whoa. AOL? Back when AOL was like a thing, okay? All right? You know, not This is not when they used to send CDs in the mail, but a little bit afterwards. That's when you know you've made it, when you hit the front page of AOL.com. <laughs> You know, it's uh, we, it's coming next. I bet we were very. <laughs> that was the print it. version, though. Was the the mail? Version. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it was just like one step above your local news. But either way, it was a fun time. I considered myself a Halloween engineer at at a point in my life, and I would actually start building Halloween decorations starting in July for Halloween coming up. And I, that's kind of my thing. I had a huge, elaborate front yard with. Uh, it had a air compressor that ran. I mean, I think it was like a 30 or 40 gallon air compressor. It ran a bunch of different things. I had, it was all synced to music and lights and all this other kind of stuff. So it was a, it was a big time in my life. I, I miss it a lot, but the one thing that happens though, is that we moved from that particular location and I have a thing about me and it's probably a, with a lot of you all is that we're really driven. We're determinated. we, we find something we really love and I've had to fill that void and I filled that void with bourbon. And so hence the reason why bourbon pursuit and pursuit spirits exist today. Yeah. Those air compressor skills are coming in handy as we're <laughs> setting up pumps and all this pneumatic cause you can't have electric <laughs> anything in distilleries. So that's coming in quite handy. So all those Halloween years were leading to something, not just for one year, one time a year. It's fun, man. Cutting up air hoses and knowing how to do all those connections. I, I used to love it because I had all kinds of pistons and stuff. But Ryan, what are you going to do for Halloween this year? Well, I was going to say next we need a light show in our warehouse every time I walk in, <laughs> you know, with house music. Do playing, not tempt you know. me, my friend. That sounds almost <laughs> too fun. Yeah. You know, I'm probably going to be uh, maybe a master distiller for Halloween or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really, Halloween, I don't get into it as like you all do. So I, I really don't have any plans. Uh, yeah, I'm lame in that regard. I need. I guess I need an idea. Uh, 
We'll work. We'll think of something on halfway through here. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. And then since nobody asked me, so I, my wife, <laughs> well, we already knew what you are. You <laughs> well, you blasted all over social media. We, we've seen it. Yeah, yeah. People have seen it, but we haven't done it since this recording. So of course my wife and my daughter, we fall in line with everything Barbie this year. And so of course my name's Kenny. So I dressed as Ken, but I went the easy route. I didn't do like vintage cowboy Ken or roller skating Ken with the 80s outfit. Instead, it was just, I'm, am, enough and it's the sweatshirt that he wears at the very end so all i do is wear a sweatshirt that was 30 bucks on amazon super simple but let's go ahead and hit the round make table the connection of ken and kenny i just thought it's because you look like ryan gosling it, um, i am so gosling right now <laughs> i am very much gosling it's it's honestly like looking in a mirror you're back in kenny's good graces after that <laughs> always said that and and because we look so much alike i mean obviously it's <laughs> might as well be triplets at this point the Gosling twins. <laughs> All right. Well, Blake, you spoke up. So go ahead, introduce yourself and what yeah, you're doing um, for Halloween. I, I mean, I feel like we should kind of take this to a vote of do you dress up as an adult or not? Sounds like Ryan's on my side. I, I do not dress up. I do not get that too far into Halloween. Um, the extent we go is there's a massive spider I pull down out of the attic every year that our kids just like go and put in trees and everything else like that. Every other decoration we have has been broken at some point. So, um, yeah, unfortunately no, um, no Halloween costumes for me. I just try to make drinks. So everybody bringing their kids around trick or treating wants to stop our house and, uh, say hello. So that's, that's my, uh, Halloween celebration. It's actually good. I've heard of a lot of people that basically set up a, uh, it's you have the kids that trick or treat and you have the parents that come by and there's usually a table full of either alcohol or beers or something. I'm okay with that. I think that's uh, a very safe, responsible way to get rid of your excess inventory. It really is, you know, set up a full tasting. <laughs> we take a wagon, we fill it up. Parents have the wagon, adults walk around with that, got coolers in it. That works out pretty well. Awesome. Well, Nick, what are you going to do for Halloween? So, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of following the Kenny logic there. My whole office is going to dress up as uh, Barbie characters. I haven't figured out which uh, Ken I'm going to be yet. But uh, actually, guys, talking about the neighborhood things and what your neighborhood used to be like. So a friend of mine I grew up with in high school, he has the most insane display you've ever seen. Um, it's called, actually, you can look it up. It's called Halloween on Ambush. He's basically built this like Pirates of the Caribbean replica ship castle dungeon. He has actors come out. He's got like, he's got fog, he's got fire. He's got the whole music synced up to it. And uh, it's pretty, pretty insane. So like each year he makes it bigger and bigger. Um, but uh, you want to give a shout out to him because he just goes nuts building this thing up to the point where the, the town, the fire department, police department actually like sets times and days and like routes traffic because it fills his whole neighborhood plus the whole area around him which is just insane so people going crazy for halloween you know I, not really a thing i could ever do i don't think i would ever do but it's cool when someone really you know gets into it like that so a lot of fun has he ever made aol.com <laughs> I, I don't know he's been on all this all like the sunday morning and all that shit but aol.com i'm not sure if he's made that that's how you Kenny really crown, know i'd like to see pictures of both <laughs> i'd like to see pictures of both there is a bar to work Yes, yes. Uh, actually, you can kind of, if anybody that's bored, after you get done listening to this recording, but you can go on YouTube. I've got some old YouTube videos out there. So it's called Halloween on Hillcrest, and you can go and check out some of my old videos that are up there. 
Uh, don't do it, guys. Come on, we focus on the conversation yeah. here. You guys, yeah, I can still, I can see everybody yeah. start typing in stuff right. Don't now. click, don't click. <laughs> see, he sees us all look down at our keyboard at once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Brian from Sipping Corn, what about you? Well, I'm I'm going to make it a tie. It's it's three against three. I'm the the uh, the Ryan and the in the Blake route here. I have about a thirty year old hockey jersey, and I put that on every ho- once a year, every Halloween, and uh, that's about it. Um, I do do the, uh, the, the, the bourbon available for the adults coming by in the neighborhood. Um, other than that, minimal decorations for Halloween and minimal effort. You know, I I just kind of thought about this. I saw a picture earlier of Paul Rudd and you could probably almost pull this off because he had a great character that he dressed up as, and that's Weird Al Yankovic. And I think you could probably pull that off. I could do it. It's, am I going to put the effort in to do it? It's a it's a wig it's and a Hawaiian shirt. I think you can do it, man. <laughs> Just give me an accordion. I got to go all in. I'm doing yes. accordion or nothing. <laughs> I can see a three <laughs> hole punch Bryant, right? Just three. Amish paradise. I think <laughs> yes. that'd be great. That's right. I can do it. I know the words. <laughs> all right. Well, that was kind of fun to kind of talk a little off topic of just what's going on in our lives and Halloween and everything like that. But let's kind of move into the subject of discussion tonight, and that is the daily drinker. And this kind of goes back into the theme of some of the deeper topics that I've been thinking about recently. And one of the things that I thought about was, I think the daily drinker should probably be dead. But before we get into that, I kind of want to talk to you all, because when we came into this hobby, uh, let's say, uh, almost 10 years ago now, Fred, maybe a little bit longer than us. We probably all actually had a daily drinker. I know I did. I was, and this is by the way, when we start dating ourselves now, this is when we start talking about how uh, fortunate we are. But I mean, Weller 12 was pretty easy to come by. I always was able to kind of get a bottle and that was kind of the, the one that was easy to go to. What about you all? Did you all have a daily drinker back in the day when maybe you only had 10 bottles on the shelf? Uh, I had uh, a brand called Henry McKenna. That was my daily drinker. And uh, I kind of screwed that up. So uh, it then became uh, Old Forester 1920, which I think daily drinker is, is, is also a bit of a, is, is also a bit of a, of a price point thing. You know, it's like, some people, a daily drinker might be 15-year-old McAllen, and some people, it may be Evan Williams bottled a bond. So I think it's like, what, what is your income that can allow you to, uh, to increase it? Also, like, I mean, how much are you drinking in a day? Are you drinking one? Are you drinking the whole bottle? You know, I mean, I think it's, that's a little bit of it as well. But I, I don't think the daily drinker's dead. I think it's far from dead. There's still so much incredible value under $60. And I would put four roses, single barrel, small batch select up against most of these $200 bourbons coming out, as well as, you know, Elijah Craig or Evan Williams Bottle to Bond, uh, Wild Turkey 101, Rare Breed. Those are all daily drinkers, and they still whip the ass of most of these, um, you know, limited edition MGP uh, knockoffs coming on the market. 
All right. Well, Fred just basically put the cart before the horse and answered everything for the entire show. So <laughs> you guys, you should, should we just go ahead and call it now? All right. See All you right. Later, Fred. Fred said he only had 10 minutes tonight, so he's out now. He's <laughs> got his points in. He's out. The RIP 86. Oh, man. That was, that was a quick one. But, you know, before we do dive into a lot of because Fred hit on a lot of the points that we probably want to dive into more, but... Did you all have a daily drinker that that you kind of went to, or maybe you still do? I don't think I ever really had a go to. I think, you know, the thing that always drew me into bourbon was just the, the, the difference between bottles. So I was kind of always bouncing around a bit. You know, there'd be two to three bottles, but it, the daily drinker is just never one that I'm like, okay, you know, five nights in a row, I want to have that. Like, my personality just doesn't really work that way. That sounds really boring to just say, yep, I'm going to drink the same thing every single night. Like there were definitely, I'd say a daily drinking shelf or location of maybe five to six bottles that I don't feel bad pouring two pours from and keep going. But um, as for one specific bottle, that was just never something I really did. So even when you only had maybe five or 10 bottles, you know, you're just kind of getting into it and buying repeat purchases. Did you have that bottle or was it, or did you, or did you, were you just a expert from the beginning? No, never an expert. I think <laughs> the, uh, the, the fun of it was always just trying different stuff and seeing how many bottles I could hide from my wife. So she didn't realize how many I'd bought. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, I, I feel like I go early, early on, you know, 10 years ago and it's like you you have the regulars like the makers and a buffalo trace and and some of this other stuff but then stop by a store and that's where i think the closest i probably got was rare breed where i feel like i just really loved that bottle and and still do but i drink it three to four days but then it's like oh well i want to try this and i want to see if it changes flavors or if it's different or i'm just lying to myself and it's a reason to drink more of the bottle so it uh um no, I mean, I think that was always kind of the fun for me was just the variety and trying different things. Back in the dark ages when I only had, like you say, Kenny, five bottles at a time or, or something, I, I think of daily drinkers, what would I always have? What was what was there that I'd just go get as soon as I'd run out? I'd go down to Evergreen in Middletown and I'd get the Weller 12 for $26. And when I was done with my Elijah Craig 12, you know, and that old bottle with the red 12. I mean, that's, it's a long ass time ago, but those were the two that I'd always had, no matter what, those were kind of the, the go-to inexpensive price performers for me when I'm just having five or six bottles total. Yeah. And I should also say that, you know, Weller 12, like, how did you discover that one? For me, it took me a while to had somebody else that taught me about Weller 12. And that's when I discovered it. What, what about you? Yeah, for me, it was the guys at Evergreen. Um, you know, this is, I, I didn't know what it was. You know, you knew a little bit about weeded bourbon then. You knew it was Makers. You know, Pappy was behind the glass, but it, it was there. Um, and then, you know, just talking to the guys and, you know, they, they recommended it. And I'll, you know, remember when it went downhill is I walk in and it wasn't there to replace my bottle. And they had started keeping it in the back. And you know, they, I knew them, so they went and back and got me one, but then it only was a few months later. They didn't even have that, but it was, uh, you know, it's, it's those relationships, which I don't know that those exist too terribly much anymore with, with liquor stores. Um, but that's how I learned about it. Nick, what about you? Yeah. So we'll, so can I answer the one question first, but I had a different perspective. 
even on your question, the whole question, uh, Kenny. So daily drinker, I think for me, I, you know, trying to think back 1792 and Weller were, probably the two fairly, you know, always had them, uh, bourbons. Part of it was I, I only maybe had two or three bottles at a time and they lasted a while. So, you know, I just didn't have this kind of deep collection that I had today. You didn't really buy another bottle till one ran out, you know, so that was the idea that you wouldn't go buy a new one until you finished the one or two that you had. Um, and I think that's how, you know, that's how maybe a lot of people start or how they are. But thinking about the kind of perspective of the question is, you know, we're bourbon drinkers as a whole or more in aggregate, more inclined to have, you know, one or two, maybe just one, one, two or three brands that they tended to just drink all the time. And you had really kind of like a small number of brands. You didn't really need to spend much money for them. People had the flavor profiles they liked, you know, pretty good whiskey available all the time. And now we're seeing this kind of change in, in consumerism, the idea of just all the new stuff, everything is limited, everything is unique, everything is different. If you're not reinventing and coming up with new brands, are you getting the consumer? And so now I see people who right off the bat, it's, I, I want to get a lot, you know, I, I want to build that collection right away. I want to try many different things right away. Maybe it's just the circles I tend to, you know, the people I tend to talk to, but I'm finding more and more people feel like they're in that camp where there isn't really the desire just to have, you know, the one thing they want all the, or the one thing they're used to, but rather try different things. And so I wonder if consumers as a whole are really taking a shift, you know, I don't have, I haven't looked at data on any of this, but are taking a shift towards this idea of, you know, wanting many, many different brands and trying different things as opposed to just sticking with the tried and true as maybe have been the case two or three decades ago in aggregate. Yep. And that'll probably dovetail on to, to what I'll talk about, but I'll let Ryan talk and see what, what his daily drinker was back in the day or, or if it still exists. I discovered Henry McKenna well before Fred Minnick did. <laughs> I just want to put that on record. Sounds like a challenge. You must have been like 17 then like, or, or 12. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. I knew I had Henry McKenna before I knew Fred Minnick. I will say that uh, because I remember introducing it to Kenny one time. He brought over like Elmer's and Weller's and this and that. And he was like, eh, this is just okay. You know, because he was like on the, I'm a stag man and this and that. But anyways. Uh, was that, were those the mustache days? It was the nasty curly ass mustache. Don't, no, don't say nasty. Like, <laughs> come on. Like I, I could have been behind a back bar somewhere wearing some, you know, a, a denim apron and making cocktails. Like that's, that was the look that I had. There was 20 grams of wax in that thing. It was gross. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, thinking back, I was thinking about like, probably like you, you all say the five bottles that I always had. And if I ran out, I would go buy it again. And Weller 107 was definitely one of those. Elijah Craig, Elijah Craig was probably the first one. Nice one. Evan Williams, 1783. I always liked. Um, and, uh, one that I kind of had that not that time period, but knew was Johnny drum. It was like a, just because I was buddy with Drew. And I, I think at the time it was like a 12 or 15 year old bottle. And it was like sub $30. Yeah, they had a lot of they had a lot of old uh, whiskey back then, and that was God, that was great. But that those are the ones that I could remember constantly. If I ran out, I would go replace them, and then like everyone else, you just start to buy everything and trying everything because you get kind of bored with those everyday items. Yeah, 
Well, let's go ahead, and I, I want to bring up this question from Jeff Perkins. He asked, uh, perhaps we need to redefine or talk about what is the daily drinker. And he said, is it the first pour of the night to get the palate warmed up, or is it something that's in your budget and readily available? In my opinion, and kind of the way I wanted to frame this, was the the daily drinker. Like, what do you drink on a daily basis? I mean, that's the same thing as when somebody comes and asks you, and they say, hey, what's a, what's a great bourbon that you would recommend every single day for me to get? And of course, we'll always say, well, what's your price point? But it's not really budget because everybody's budget's a little bit different as, as Fred kind of said, but this is just something that, that you always go to. It's your, it's your go-to. And that's the kind of thing that I want to, uh, uh, hit on is saying like, what's that go-to? I would say you buy multiple bottles of it a year, you know, the same thing, not just your budget drinker. I, I, I you, you're, you're purchasing your, once you run out, you go get it again. You run out, you go get it again. So that's what I would allude to. Exactly. Uh, and that was to also follow up on Bill's question is, uh, is the daily drinker what you drink that's under $60 or after warming up with something over 60? Again, not to put a price point on this or anything like that. It's just to kind of just as Ryan said, but here is here's my theory. And we'll go ahead and we'll we'll kind of start breaking this down. So my theory is that all of us, whether you're listening to this, you're watching this on YouTube, you're on this panel, you are somebody that is in the Facebook forums, you're a purchaser off a of seal box, you're a reader on Breaking Bourbon, you're a, a subscriber to fredminnick.com, you are a purchaser of a book from Sip and Corn. You live right now in the greatest time in American whiskey history. I said it. The way that I look at it is that there are more brands, more things to try on the shelf than there ever has before. No longer do you have to worry about just having six different distilleries that make all the whiskey that you have a choice of on the shelf that's rebranded 50 different ways. But instead, everything's coming from tons and tons and tons of places, not just Kentucky, not just NDPs, but anywhere from outside and the, you know, all the, the United States as well. And so when I look at that, I, I, I kind of looked at it and I think, why do people pigeonhole themselves in drinking the same thing all the time? And this isn't for the people that come into a liquor store because they've ran out of their bottle of makers and they need to replenish their bottle of makers. Those people are not what we would call in our circle, right? Those are those are the people that just have the bottle of bourbon. That's what they go for and they don't know. We are the neophytes. We are always the 1% of bourbon that are always trying to find the next best thing, always trying to talk about it. So when I get asked the question, what's your daily drinker? What's your go-to? I've replied back and I said, I don't have one. I don't think I've had one in probably five or six years now, because the way that I think about it is I can go down to my, my basement down here to my bar and I know what I'm in the mood for. I don't want something chocolatey. Do I want something sweet? Do I want something that has some rye spice? Do I want something, some vanilla, some caramel, like whatever it is. And I can look at my bar and think like, that's what I want. And I don't feel that I'm putting myself into a pocket of saying, well, this is what I go to. This is what I always drink. But this is kind of where I'm going to start advocating for other people to start thinking, well, yeah, I know that there's Buffalo Trace on the shelf. I know that there's Eagle Rare on the shelf. And this goes back into one of our old episodes. It's like, well, why do you keep drinking it? Why do you keep buying it? Knowing that there are so many other things in the world that you can try and you can go for. And I'm not picking on Sazerac. It could be Henry McKenna. It could be uh, 50,000 other different products out there. And it's it could it doesn't have to be popular. It could be like, even if you like your small little craft brand that sits in your little neck of the woods and you just keep buying it again, there are so many other things out there that you can try. So that's my theory. And I kind of want to put it out there and have you all kind of either start picking apart 
and figuring out where do you see, are you in alignment with it? Or do you think that, hey, there's still room as somebody that is in what we would call our people, our circle of, of whiskey neophytes, the people that are always looking for the next great thing or the people that consider themselves uh, either an expert or just a, a moderate enthusiast, should you still have a daily drinker? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Should you still have a daily drinker? I love that perspective, Kenny. That's a uh, very insightful. Um, you know, this has come up in conversations I've had, you know, with people who look at new things they haven't had before and rolling the dice on bottles that are 50, 75, 80 bucks a pop, you know, as kind of the new norm of where you see things that start to push the limits and things. Somebody has two, three, four that they don't care for. I think you, for some people that is the you know, that makes them hesitate on that new undiscovered craft brand, you know, things of that nature. So I think it, I think there's a budgetary constraint that just is, is real, you know, it, two, three, four, five hundred $500 deep, and you haven't really found anything you like, you're going to maybe swing back to that one that you, you know, you know, you're going to like, and you know, is good. Um, you know, so is it, is it impossible to become an enthusiast if you don't have the budget to do so? You know, how much of this is just limited by budget versus just people's desire to try and, and taste different things. In my personal opinion, if we're talking enthusiast who is listening to this and, you, you know, into bourbon and everything else, I think it's always been dead. I, I don't think, not that it's always been dead, but I'd say 99.5% of this audience has never been the person who just went and picked up, um, you know, a handle of Jack every Friday. 
and you know that's out there and sure you know i think it's still way more prevalent within vodka you know sorry fred but like tito's and soda is still the drink for the majority of that crowd um and jack and coke is still a thing if you go to a bar but in general that's not who we're talking about that's that's not really our audience so i think it's the the daily drinker has always been dead and will continue to be dead hopefully because there, like you said there's just so much good stuff out there why would you pigeonhole yourself to to one bottle um i don't think it's a bad thing like if you just even if it's a price point thing, there are fifty thirty dollar bottles that you could be trying each time that bottle runs out and and going on to the next one. So, um, to me, it, it's always been dead for for our group that we're a part of, um, and I hope it stays that way. So, I, I think you have a daily drinker when you have five or six bottles at any given time. I mean that that's that's the sign of that you probably have a daily drinker when you have. As many as, as you said, Kenny, and a, uh, what kind of enthusiast? I forgot already. It was, it was funny. Uh, let's just, let's just say you have probably over 20 bottles. Let's, I mean, yeah. Do you think let's, that, let's. Do, you, do you think that's a, do you think that's a, a healthy gauge? Like if you're over 20 bucks or 20 bottles, you think you're, you're entering into that? I'm, like, yeah. like, like the hook has kind of got you. The hook is set. Yeah. And you will be unhealthy r- real quick, but that's, <laughs> that's why we love everybody. But I, I think you have that daily drinker when, when you have that smaller view of bourbon. And then once you, as, as Blake is saying, once you start discovering that there's more out there, then you don't necessarily have your daily go-to that you're absolutely going to get a new bottle when it's gone. But you, there is still room to have favorites. And I don't want to diminish that. I mean, we've all got our favorites, you know, and it goes with our individual profiles that, that we end up liking. So keep having your favorites, keep getting those, but balance it with exploring because there's, I mean, there's so much out there to try that's, that's different, that just doesn't get pigeonholed with those primary producers in Kentucky. Um, and that, that's, I think that's what I learned as I got more and more bottles and was able to taste a lot of different types of bourbon. I think when you look at like the psyche of a daily drinker, I, it kind of falls in the same line of, I mean, how many people go to the, the same restaurant and order the exact same thing all the time? They just know what they like. They know what they want. And yeah, they will change it up. They're going to, they'll, they'll go to a different restaurant and they'll get uh, a filet mignon uh, instead of a strip steak or something like that. Like they will do I was going to think you'd be like swapping out cheddar cheese for provolone, like <laughs> on a hamburger. Like that's as far as they're going to go. Um, it will. I mean, sometimes, but, th- but those people, they will, they stayed in the state category in my example, but they will switch it up, but they know what they like and they've been burned before. And I saw this, uh, when, with the rise of Hudson, when Hudson came out, that bottle burned so many people in bourbon. And like it, I think Hudson kept it, it closed the door for so many craft distillers that are coming out. These traditional Kentucky bourbon guys, they were like, they wanted to try it. They wanted to explore. They're like, tasted it like, oh, fuck that. I ain't ever leaving Kentucky bourbon again. And so they stayed in that kind of little niche. So, and even I'm that way sometimes. I mean, I have every bottle, you know, to, at, that I can get. I mean, it's, it's every, I mean, my office is, I'm tripping over bottles, but when I'm sitting down 
and I'm watching a movie or I want to watch a baseball game and I don't want to think about the bourbon. I just know the taste. I love it. I, I, I'm going to pick one of the like 30 bottles that I have in my rotation as my daily drinker. Now, I'm not drinking it every day. I'm not drinking it every day, but th- those are things that are in my rotation. But I just think it's it, it, I think it's along those same lines. And it is kind of it's frustrating because there are a lot of great uh, products out there that could be a daily drinker. One of the, you know, a daily drinker for me is Woodenville out of out of the state of Washington. And you know how many people don't like Woodenville? I'm sorry. I, I love it. I think they make a great product. And that's when I when I am in a particular mood like you are, Kenny, when you're wanting a particular note, like when when I want something that's I'd like say for Woodenville, chocolate. can we like apple pie? Because that's what I always get off of it. Yeah, it's a pie oriented. Mine's a little different. It's not apple pie, but it's pie. Um, but it's a, you know, when I'm in that mood, that's, there's nothing else that will suffice that, that taste I want. So I just think it's, I think the reason why people fall with the day, they continue with the daily drinker. It's as simple as that they, we are creatures of comfort. And an old Sergeant major told me a long time ago that we will always repeat and do the same thing over and over again uh, as individuals, not society because we are creatures of comfort. And every time we have a new comfort added, we'll have a new uh, kind of like a, a new rotation to our life. But it's that simple for most people. Can see, Fred, that, that tasting note is not marzipan that you're typically after <laughs> in there. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, when I'm craving marzipan, it, I, I end up tasting like 30 things because I'm like, oh, I thought I tasted it in that. Oh, what about this one? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's only barrel batch 11, right? That's usually the uh, ba- batch 11. Barrel batch 11 was the money one, but a lot of bookers have marzipan in it. And uh, there's one the other day I tasted. Um, it was a barrel pick I did. What was a barrel? I, um, I, I, I can't remember, but there was a marzipan note in there. Oh. Hemingway Rye. It was a Hemingway Rye. There was a marzipan note in that. Really? Interesting. Yeah, this is a... Kenny, I wish you, before we start a brand of creating an everyday drinker, you said the everyday drinker was dead. But anyways... <laughs> we, should, uh, we should have one, right? <laughs> it make, it make things a lot easier if we need to sell bottles. But anyways, uh, yeah, this is one... Because I, I don't know that it's dead, because me as a consumer, there, I like you know, those five or six bottles that I'll constantly, now I won't have them every day, but I'll rotate them, you know, throughout the week, like based on mood, but I don't really tap into my like limited special, like all this stuff until friends come over. And so that's what our, my daily drinkers are stuff that like, I'm not worthy to drink by myself or I'm, I'm only worthy to drink by myself and not share with, you know, I'm not going to drink it just by my, by myself. So, um, you know, I kind of miss that too about bourbon. It's like, I just want something that I can go to the store and know that I like. It's like, and that's what's kind of frustrating too. Like when you talk to consumers and you're like, like, Oh, I really like that one. You're like, well, you want to try it again? No, I've already had that one. You're like, well, you liked it. What, you know, that that makes no sense to me that you, you, if you don't, if you like something, why aren't you rebuying it? And it's gotta be frustrating for brands. Like, you, you know, customer acquisition cost is like, so expensive and you know just to grab their mind share for one bottle every two or three years you know that's like that's like really hard as a producer but i mean to be realistic most of these brands live off people that 
that's their makers, that's their beam, that's their turkey, that's, you know, that they're going to constantly over and over and they ain't switching. It's just like the paid person that smoked Marlboro Lights wasn't going to smoke Camels, wasn't going to smoke Lucky Strikes. They just, they, they just had their mind set on that. And so I, I agree probably with the whiskey enthusiasts, they're, the daily drinker is diminishing, but I don't know that it's dead. I think there's a lot of folks that when they're by themselves, they're not going after all those crazy rare you know, limited bottles all the time, but yes, you should try things and expand your horizons. Don't just limit yourself to the five or six major players with their one mash bill branded 10 different ways. And you, you know, you have their bottom tier and you have their top tier and you think they're different, but they're not. And so it's like, go out there and try and expand. And yes, you can have your years that you go back to, but also expand your horizons. Woodenville is a great example, Fred. They make great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, uh, there was actually a, a really good quote in here from Matt Cusick, and I'll go ahead and put it out here. And he said, it's actually a, an awful time to be an uneducated consumer. And there was a lot of talk in there about what does it look like to actually find something that you would actually want to go back to and actually want to drink every single day. And in the chat, people were blowing up and it's like, oh, it's MGP branded 20 different ways or it's, oh, it's all this. And as Brian said, even if it's from the big six, it's the same three mash bills branded 50 different ways. And from a, a a daily drinker perspective, I think this takes a, a little bit of a, a different direction because you don't know what's good. And I think that goes back to what Fred said, is that people go to what they are comfortable with. And even to what Nick had said earlier, people don't, you, if you get burned by a $50 craft whiskey, you probably don't want to buy another one. So other than sampling, like what are other ways that people can discover things that wouldn't pigeonhole them into a daily drinker? Do you think it's always going to be, is it social media? Is it the samples when you're walking in the door? Is it the YouTubers? Like, what do you all feel is like, is a way to sort of like breaking away from this mold of, and, and Blake, by the way, I, I do want to compliment you. There's a lot of people that even said, I can't believe I'm agreeing with Blake on this <laughs> this this because uh, you had a really great point of like maybe for us and everybody that's here that the daily drinker is dead um even if you had an opportunity to buy and maybe it is a bad analogy it's like if you eat filet mignon every single night do you even want to eat filet mignon so if you had the opportunity to drink william Luell, william Lueller every single night would you do it you'd probably get bored of it that's probably the the, the probably the real case was with most people in my life agreeing with me is a very tough thing to do. So uh, <laughs> I get it. I get it why that is. So I was going to say, so I remember when I kind of moved personally from, you know, just having one or two different bottles to, you know, that kind of quick expansion to suddenly it was 10, then it was 20. And um, Eric and Jordan, who, you know, the other two Breaking Bourbon guys, we kind of were all in this together. So we, you know, we'd only get together once or twice a year and it kind of turned into like, oh, we're going to get together. We're going to drink bourbon. So we'd be, each be looking for a bunch of bottles to bring, you know, to these get togethers because we all lived in different places. And, you know, we found ourselves standing at, at liquor stores and on our phones right when smartphones really became a thing. And we were having a really tough time trying to figure out what the hell was what, you know, who made what, what was good, what wasn't good. And incidentally, that's what kind of got us prompted 
to create breaking bourbon. Like we envisioned ourselves standing there at the liquor store, not sure what to get. And we thought, how do we come up with some, you know, a website and a review process, everything that we can convey that to people, you know, very quickly so they can make those decisions and navigate through what is something that already say with beer, for example, you've got a good bunch of good resources, you know, already existed at the time. Um, so that, that's why we did that. And, you know, that's why we actually have designed Breaking Bourbon, you know, for that very purpose is so people can get a sense of, is this going to be a bottle for me or not? Um, the thing that's tricky, though, is, is taste. So everyone's taste is going to be different. Sometimes we agree on stuff. Sometimes we don't among the three of us. So you've got to still have that. You've got to still get that sensory experience yourself. And I think that's the challenge of it. I do know a lot of liquor stores, at least local ones, um, they will have open bottles to sample, things like that. You know, you can ask them, um, you know, if budget's a concern or just look, hey, let me taste through five different things, you know, buy a bottle. But man, it'd be great to know if it, it's the one I like out of this five. Um, you know, so if you find those local stores, if they, they do exist in your area, I think that's a great way to kind of start to dig into that. Um, and, and, you know, getting those experiences, swapping with friends, you know, samples and things like that. You know, I know a lot of people do that in online groups and local groups and things where you can just try a lot of different stuff and kind of expand that without going too deep into the, into the budget. I agree with that. That's great points. And it's, it's fall, it's fire pit season guys. So go, go start up a fire pit, get six guys over, everybody bring a bourbon that he hadn't tried before and everybody try it. I mean, that that's, you know, sp spread the risk, basically. You know, there's going to be some turds in there. There's going to be something that you like. Um, not all of you will like the same things, just like Nick is saying. But just just try try these bourbons and you'll find you'll find a new new bourbon that you want to go to for a while. I'll throw another one in there. What if let's say you're getting together with a group of, you know, five, ten people. Everybody pitches in ten bucks. And that way, you bring in, you pitch in five or 10, you know, 10 bucks. You also bring your own bottle, but whoever's in charge, they go buy a bottle that's something that nobody else is going to bring. Therefore, you get a chance to try something new for everybody. And I think that's another way to help break that mold as well. You know, someone in the group is going to bring Kessler's or some kind of shit like that. <laughs> they pocket the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, I saw a bottle of Kessler's empty on Fred's porch the other day. When I was yeah, you lo yes, that was a part of my <laughs> taste the camp. Sacrifice? Was that <laughs> the sacrifice you made that night? <laughs> it's the, it's the bloody the mirrors. Head. <laughs> so, so, so for my taste camp, I had everyone get uh, Kessler's so they could taste what something really awful tasted like. And so we had it left over, and then I give I give my empty bottles to a guy who makes uh, soap dispensers out of them. So we just poured that out, and yeah, so uh, good one, very good one, Ryan. Good, good one. He's very astute. He he notices stuff, doesn't he? I do, especially Fred. But uh, two, there's you know we've been working these whiskey, but these whiskey festivals across the country, not just like bourbon fest. You know, there's those those big ones, but there's a lot of regional whiskey festivals that you can go to in your area and, you know, 20 to, you know, 50 brands will come and pour samples out and you might, the price of admission might be 50, a hundred bucks, but you get to try so much and learn from, and you get to learn and educate. I, I fear that the consumer now just really, you know, whereas 10 years ago, I feel like we were all just like so into it and like asking questions and wanting to understand and like wanting to know more I feel like a lot of the new consumers just don't give a shit. They're like, does it say toasted? Is it Amberana? What's your age? You know, 
is it single barrel? They just, they think they know these buzzwords and that's what they go after. And like, I just feel like it's a different mindset. Whereas we were all just like really interested in the spirits and the category and the history and whatnot. But whiskey festivals to me are like a home run because you just get a wide array of assortment of trying things. feels like that's a green day song, you know? You just like you, you like we're going right around like the time of our lives, you know, into when a I come fest. around. Yeah, it, you, it was a uh, it was a nice that was nice. Well said. I mean, that the thing is that we have to realize that we and we talk about this all the time. The 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 audience we're talking to here, the people who read the, Brian's books, who listen to our uh, podcast, read Breaking Bourbon. I mean, they're just not they're not investing the as the general consumer is not investing the time they're going off of what someone says that they should drink and they don't want to go. They don't want to spend too much time in that, in that world. And even when someone says they're a bourbon drinker, you actually get to talking to them. They're not a bourbon drinker. They have a bourbon maybe once a month. So I don't know. I just, I, I think that we also are, are in a time where there's so much dilution over. There's so many skews. There's so many products in, there's so many NDPs just uh, diluting everything and celebrity brands diluting the category that it's actually, if you're new coming in the category, like Matt said, if you're uneducated, man, it's a shitty time. But even if you get yourself educated, it's, it's tough. But, um, but even to get yourself educated, I mean, what do you think, Fred? If you get yourself educated to the point where you start knowing, you know how to read the back of a label and, you understand what a mash bill is and you you know that, okay, well, these five bottles are the same, but there's us all this other stuff over here. I mean, is this still not the greatest time to be alive as an American whiskey consumer? Is this the greatest time to be alive as an American whiskey consumer? Huh. Are we talking, I mean, if you take out like the- Because of choice. Ridiculous. Choice. Okay, if we take out pricing- yeah, pricing uh, yeah. aside, I mean, I think that's yeah. been one of the things on the on the chat that people have gotten really hung up on. They're like, "Well, what's the price? Is it sixty dollars? Is it twenty? Is it whatever?" It's like pricing be damned. Like everybody's pocketbooks are different. I used to think like that, and then and then uh, I, I I sort of I sort of came around to I think pricing is important. I just don't know how to like judge a whiskey based on you you can't ju- you can't give a uh, something a score and great tasting notes and then dock it because it's a certain price. You know, you just can't do that. But, um, I I do think from a selection that's out there, we have, we have reached, um, so many different flavor profiles in American whiskey. If if you want to include like the rise of American single malts, it's, it's an amazing time to be a whiskey lover. It absolutely is. Uh, but there's still, there's still a lot of shit out there. You know, like Brian was saying earlier, you're going to sometimes you got to wade through the turds to get to the to the good stuff. And that's that's the bad part of it all is if you can find someone to help guide you through the turds to get to the good stuff. That's that's the good part of that's the good way of getting educated. But it's part of the experience, though, too, I think. I mean, not to discount that, but to find out. Not, not you... tasting turds. Tasting turds is part of the experience. Tasting turds, right? That's Halloween, the Halloween theme, right? <laughs> <laughs> that gets really scary. Uh, no, I mean, but you got to find out what you don't like too. And, you know, you're going to you're gonna learn a lot from your mistakes. I mean, that might cause you to say, what the, what is this? What am I drinking? And you, and you learn and say, oh, you know what? I realize now it's 18 months old and 
I go do some research. Oh, I didn't really know much about ages, but I know that's, you know, very difficult to get something that tastes good at only 18 months. You know, so, I mean, I think that's so damn diplomatic. But I think that's part of it, though, right? I mean, I mean, to Kenny's point, you know, it is it is great to see all this new stuff coming out all the time. It's great to see new flavor profiles. It's great that the stigma around being a non-distiller producer and actually like blending and focusing on what's in the bottle is kind of has been largely shed. I mean, granted, you still got to pay attention. There's still kind of the same thing across a lot of brands if you don't pay attention. But I mean, I think we're seeing all of that just to the point because we do have this consumer group like us that is into it and that's willing to put money and effort and go travel to these places and visit distilleries and all that, all that stuff so that it can be supported, right? Because if we weren't interested, they wouldn't be doing it. So the fact that there's more and more interest and in sometimes you complain about, oh man, look at all these people in it, but without them, you wouldn't have the brands. They wouldn't have the ability to produce stuff or the desire to if they didn't have the consumers that wanted it. So I got I agree with that, Kenny. I think it is a great time. I think it's great to see people still trying to do something different and unique and still having fun with it. Because we are these like die hard into it whiskey consumers i try to put myself like look at it from my wife and i and our journey in in the wine world and so like how we act in that space because we're not enthusiasts by any means but we are wine drinkers and there's probably a rotation of six bottles that we constantly buy that we know we like they're not fancy but they're in the 20 to $40 range, you know, which is pretty expensive for wine because you're only getting four glasses, but we'll do Napa. We'll do, we'll splurge where we get, you know, a $7,500 bottle, maybe 10 to 12 bottles a year. And I think that's probably most consumers that you're going to have a, there, there's three consumers basically in this space. There's, you know, the, the, the people that are just going to brand loyalists, they're only going to buy OFO handles or makers handles that, then you have the person that has five to six bottles and then they'll splurge on maybe five more that are kind of limited edition special. And then you have us and most of the people live in that middle, I think. And, you know, it's like, how do you, I think brands and, and, and that's what most consumers are. And I, I guess Kenny's what, I, I don't know what Kenny's point of this is ultimate is that you're wanting that middle stage to move towards enthusiast or are you wanting like, because I, I think there's a room for both of them, and uh, I, I think that's where most people live. And and you want, you know, everyone to. I get what you're saying. You want everyone to kind of experiment and buy more bottles and try different things. But I think most people live in that middle ground. Well, if you're wondering what I'm looking for, it's just clickbait headlines. That's it. That's all we're ever looking for. <laughs> Fair enough. It's the top ten bottles that are better than blends. That's all I'm ever looking for. Yeah, but you know when you uh, when Pursuit United comes out with the uh, everyday drinker and you start marketing that, you, you're going to have all kinds of memes coming out from this episode. So you know what, Fred, I would absolutely love it. Please roast us. Please blow us up. <laughs> we'll take Please it. put us on absolutely on billboards on oh, boy. New York Times, Times Square, whatever it is. AOL, I will take it. Yeah, AOL.com. <laughs> put it there. Kenny's absolutely. whole marketing plan unfolds before us now. <laughs> this is all going to be edited out. Just I'm planting seeds, y'all. That's all it is. Uh, and then last thing I'll I'll say because Randy had a great quote here that says the best time will be in 10 years when we've actually seen all these expanded distilleries and potentially there might be a glut again who knows he says maybe we can buy older bourbon at cheaper prices 
Uh, I'm going to kind of be on the fence on that one. I don't know if that's going to ever go back down. I, I don't think it's going to happen. There's not a glut coming. It's all going to Europe and Asia. Sorry. It's- I think it's it's going to it's going to plateau is what it's going to do. And but it's not going to go back down. I still think that uh the days of you trying to get 12 year anything you're still going to cost x amount of whatever it is today. You know, I I I wonder is there another high level hobby where the fans like root for a category's demise. <laughs> it's just so it's it's true. How sick we are in the head. Someone mentioned in the chat earlier, like, when are we going to get that psychology uh, interview going? I know we have that scheduled in January, right, Kenny? Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we're, we're working but, on it. But, I mean, that's one of the questions we got to bring up. You know, why is it? Because it's not, it's not just Randy. I'd say it's three quarters of the bourbon geeks out there just <laughs> absolutely want to see bourbon shatter. I think the past five years and like every single group, every single day, somebody has said, when's the bubble going to pop? Yeah, but even 10 years ago, it was that way. It, you know, and Chuck Cowder, yeah. like you go, you go into straightbourbon.com, 2008, they were talking about it. Like it's, it, it's something, it's built in the DNA of, uh, of being a bourbon fan. It's like you have to secretly hate it as well. <laughs> yeah, I predicted the demise a long time ago. Yeah, there'd be a post at least once a week on Bourbon or on the Pappy Van Winkle release maps of, I can't wait till all these hipsters in their flannel shirts stop buying my Pappy so I can find it on the shelf again. (laughs) I'm like, well, that's just not how this works. (laughs) But, you you know, there is a lot of whiskey coming online. Um, There's no doubt about that. So, you you know, I won't won't fully say I agree. completely agree with Randy, but I do think there will be, like Kenny said, a plateau at some point, but still a long ways out. I think there's a, re- there's a reckoning of some of these like brands that have no passion behind them. And I, that's, that's going to happen. Like, but you know, th- there's no glut coming. Yeah. There's definitely gonna be a thinning of the herd. If you don't, if you're not out building a brand and building fan base and you can no longer just put a bottle on the shelf and, hope it sells it's you know brands that could do that three four years ago are now even struggling that they're used to just oh you put on shelf it sells and now it's it's a hard time because there's so much choice and selection you gotta go support your brand with tastings and and uh festivals and all the get the youtubers behind you it takes a it just takes a lot of effort to get exposed now but there's definitely i don't know if there's a glut coming because uh there's a reason elijah craig sponsored uh, the Ryder cup over in italy there you go. Well, we're gonna, I think we're going to end it on that. Yep. But y'all, this has been a fun episode. I, I didn't know if we were going to go this long just talking about the Daily Drinker. And I hope everybody kind of liked my take on the death of the Daily Drinker. But we all had a lot of good takes on what is the Daily Drinker, the people that we're talking to, this audience, the listeners, the book buyers, the blog readers. And it really kind of hit home for probably a lot of people that maybe we we actually don't have it anymore. We were there at one point and it is a an evolution. It's a journey and it's a lot of things that as we get into this hobby even more and more, you end up just kind of finding your path and end up all taking... We, we all end up in the same place where we're going, you know what? I don't want this anymore. I'll, I want to try 50 different other things. But that is a that is a, a journey that I think most people will will eventually find. But we'll go ahead and start doing the, the sign-offs here. So Ryan, Fred, thank you once again for joining. 
No, thank you. Well, it's but it's it's Halloween too, so I, I really want to I want to see you dress up this Halloween. All right, I'll dress up as Ken. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Three Kens of the list. Which Ken? With with ten pounds of wax. Yeah. <laughs> oh, old school Kenny Coleman. I, I got you. The, the IT tick Ken. There we go. The khaki pants Kenny. I want That's that right. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, at my bottom, I'm gonna let you start. Go ahead and doing your sign off. So Blake, we'll start with you. Yeah, we're signing off with our favorite daily drinker or just whatever we uh, would like. <laughs> you can, as long as the answer is it doesn't exist. Gotcha. Yeah, no, as always, always fun to be here. Blake from Sealbox and uh, looking forward to the next one. Brian. All right. It was fun, guys. Thanks uh, for number 86. Uh, Brian with Sipping Corn, Bourbon Justice, all that stuff. Um, favorite daily drinker i I'm, I'm with you it really doesn't exist it's just a it's a group of favorites that i gravitate toward and i'll keep going there it's a fun one guys thanks for sure and nick from breaking bourbon yeah thanks everybody nick uh breaking bourbon um i'm not even gonna attempt the favorite daily drinker when people ask me that i'm always like uh, <laughs> i have no idea like and they're like how do you not know like you like bourbon you don't have i'm like I just like to try different things. You know, that's what you should do too. But I do like trying to recommend things for people though and, and get a sense of what they might like and what they've had before and point them maybe at two or three that might be good ones for them to, uh, you know, to start with. You know, of course, everyone says, oh, I had Bland's. I really love that. I want to find a bottle. Well, that's going to be kind of hard to do. So let's see if we can get something that is actually easily available and not uh, 125 bucks if you do find it. So yeah, fun, fun topic. Uh, Thanks, guys. All right. Well, I guess next week we'll do the death of Blanton's and see if anybody listens. How about that one? <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, right. There's a new book out on Blanton's Warehouse 8. It is. It is. Yeah. We talked about I it. Got it right here. I mean, I yeah. know. Yeah. mine just came in the mail. Look forward to it, reading yeah. it. it. And today. that was a huge joke because there is no death of Blanton's. That's all people line up for. So that was, uh, that's, that will always be around. Totally, totally kidding there. But this has been a fun episode. I really loved it, guys. Thank you so much for your input. And maybe your validation. I really appreciate that too, because these are things that I tend to thinking about and wondering if people are thinking about this one as well. So make sure you're subscribing to Bourbon Pursuit and don't leave us a review. Please don't do that. But if you do like the show, share it with a friend. Tell somebody else that's getting into bourbon that thinks they have a daily drinker and say, you should probably listen to this and see what these guys think as well. Is, so is that a sure. new psychiatry trick to like tell people not to re do a review? Maybe. That's, Let's see if it works. That's good. Because <laughs> like, now I'm like, oh, I'm going to go give a review. Yeah. I already have, unfortunately. So yeah. I'm like, you know, can't do any more. Well, that's why all of our five stars, it all comes from Fred just hitting, <laughs> and, <laughs> hitting it over and over and over again. Ding, 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 ding. Rapid click. Uh, but then also follow our buddy Fred Minnick over here. You know how to find him. FredMinnick.com as well as all his other YouTube channels. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next time. Fuck sucks. Toodles. <laughs>